All of a sudden on my radio, hey, come on down tonight at Club Tropicana. It's going to be a great contest. EPMD is going to be in town. Bring your best raps. We're like, we're going. Hey, did you get the address? Here it comes. Here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories from the legends of the golden era of hip hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. In this episode, we hear from a hip-hop legend whose contributions directly influence acts from Fushnickens to Jay-Z. I'm talking about Crazy Drazy from the duo Das Effects. Along with his partner School, they would help stamp the underground sound and image in mainstream hip-hop. From their unique wordplay and lingo to the way they dressed, this group set the tone for several other hip-hop acts that will follow. Settle in for this one because it's gonna get wild in ways that much of the culture has never heard before. Crazy Drazy was born Andre Weston in September of 1970. In Kingston, Jamaica. I'm from Jamaica, St. Andrews. My father was a jeweler. He was a jeweler, he fixed watches. I mean, he worked like Seiko and Citizen and like big name brands, you know? And my mother was like um, like a maid. And in Jamaica, Dre saw firsthand what it was like to live in poverty. I just remember Jamaica was real poor. To get to my house, you would have to go through some gates and it would be like a yard and chickens and all type of stuff running around, you know? That's kind of what I remember about Jamaica. I remember Jamaica just being real wild. And I remember my uncles killing chickens with machetes and cooking them. And One thing about being a kid in Jamaica during the 70s? The teachers will whoop your ass. It's not like in the States. So I just remember getting beatings in school. I was a bad, you know, mischievous kid. And that mischief followed him home. I was playing in the fields and I was throwing rocks. I I guess we were throwing rocks at each other. I was ducking down and, you know, rocks going over my head and I came up and one of those rocks was like, pew! So here I am, busted head, came home and my pops whipped my ass on top of me having a busted head. And that was obviously because he must have told me a million times, don't go out there throwing these rocks and blah, blah, blah. So my mother and I always had this pull and tug relationship, you know? But my father and I are just, because he was a musician as well. So he was into reggae and, you know, uh, in Jamaica, it's a small community. So this guy does reggae music over there. That guy does reggae. So he, oh, I knew Bob Marley. I knew, you know, Peter Tosh. You know, he, he would always name drop and, you know, play me some of his music that he was doing. Eventually, his parents decided it was time to migrate out of Jamaica to the States in favor of opportunity for themselves and their children. What happened was my mother came to the States first. She got her visa, did all the stuff you need to do. My father didn't have his stuff situated, so she came up, got a job, you know, did the I'll go ahead, get settled thing first. My mother took a job as a housekeeper up in a place called Englewood, New Jersey, which was like rich people. And um, then they, they bonded and they found out her story and then they helped her get my father's paperwork together. Cause in the 70s, it's not just go to the embassy, get your shit, and then oh I'm off to, you know, the it's a it's a it's a um it's a work visa, it's temporary. They wanna know how long you're gonna be there for. And then before I know it, we were on our way to the States. My father in the airport, he was telling me, he was like, um, they won't let you get on the plane or they won't let you come to the States unless you could read. He was playing with me. The whole flight from Jamaica, I was sitting there with a book acting like I was reading. I'm five or six or seven and I'm acting like I could read. I'm like, oh, you think that's funny, huh? You think that's funny to mess with a kid's head like that? So they boarded the flight from Jamaica to New York City where they would be reunited with his mother. I think I had almost started forgetting about my mother. She had been away for X amount of years trying to get shit right. So it was one of those, you know, my father's hiding me in the back of him in the airport. And then, oh, here's your son again. And this big old reunion. And from the airport, he landed in Union City, New Jersey. Union City was really, uh, it's poor as well. So we lived in like, I wouldn't call it the projects. It was a building. This is where Dre starts getting into trouble. Arcades were big. You know, so I was in and out arcades. I got locked up for loitering in the arcades and trying to steal 
quarters out the arcades. That's kind of what drew a wedge between me and my mother as well, because, you know, if you know Jamaican people, they're like, we not come to this bomba clock country for none of your recklessness, you know. So my mother wanted me to come here, go to school, get an education, be a lawyer. What's interesting is once I moved from uh, Jamaica and lived in Union City for a while, I was going to school in Union City around, you know, all these kids in the ghetto, but then my mother took me out of that school and then put me into school up here in Englewood. So I was now growing up around all these white kids. I mean, well-to-do white kids. And then it was just so funny, just to tell you how young I was. I remember, you know, in Jamaica, it doesn't snow. So I remember seeing snow for the first time, and I bought a snowball into the classroom. And But I also had the privilege of just seeing how the other half lived, you know? Because then on the weekends, I'd go back to Union City. So it was just an interesting time growing up until I was in high school. And when he was about to go to high school, his mother, who worked in the more upscale Inglewood, New Jersey, and his father had made it to a point where they could move out of Union City, uprooting Dre once again. I'm 13, I'm about to go to high school, and now my parents say, hey, we're moving. I'm like, well, what? <laughs> Down the block, right? They're like, no, we're moving from Union City to Teaneck, which is a town over from Englewood. This was upward mobility, and the mission was to give their son and new daughter more opportunity in the States. You get into high school, and then it's a new world, you know what I'm saying? And I was into sports and shit, so, you know, I I met some guys and then got on the football team. In the meantime, he, like the other kids in the New York tri-state area, were being influenced by a new culture that was bubbling called hip-hop. Being so close to New York City gave him a good peek into this new world and new sound. It's Mr. Magic, Rap Attack. I'd like to welcome you to the world, famous Mr. Magic, Rap Attack. On Thursdays, you could, I remember for some reason, you could turn on like this real all the way at the end of the dial every Thursday night. It was like these two guys, I can't even remember their names, but they would play all this hip hop. Along with the sound of hip hop coming from the radio, he was still being influenced by his first musical guy, his father. What's cool about my pops was he would go and hang out in Brooklyn every weekend. And what's cool is he would go record shopping. And I don't know if it was I told him to pick up these records, but he would always come back with one or two records for me. And he bought me back the, you know, Sugar Hill Gang. I said, thanks a lot. Come on, everybody, give me what you got. He bought me back the message. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I got those albums, you know, which was my education. Now, hip-hop, as most of us know, isn't just music. Though the music would eventually dominate, the culture was originally made up of different elements, and Dre tried his hand in all of them. I started um, doing graffiti. I was writing my actual name, Dre, on people's property, and it wasn't even that creative and looking, and, and the owner of the house knew that Dre lived right there. Oh, man. Parents, Jamaican, uh, whooped me in front of everybody. So I gave up graffiti quick. But that wasn't the end of his hip hop journey. Then I got into the break dancing and popping and all that. Then you try and do your windmill, you break your wrist, you're like, mm, maybe that's not it for me. And then I had these records in the house, so I thought maybe I could DJ and then just. <sighs> Just didn't have the light touch, you know? So I'm scratching records up. I'm like, that is not it either, you know? And then just, by this time I was in high school. (laughs) I was trying to do the beatbox. And then I remember there was a rap contest coming up and it was me beatboxing and another guy in my high school that could beatbox, but he sounded like a record. The guys who were entering the rap contest, they went with him. So which kind of just, that's one of the things in your life. I'm like, I'm gonna show those guys. And I couldn't be boxed, so I said I'm going to show them by rhyming. Little did he know, this was the beginning of the rest of his life. He'd eventually become a fixture in the culture he was falling in love with and become a success. But for now, writing rap songs was his secret. I didn't, I wasn't sure yet, you know, so I just would share it with the guy I rhymed with and maybe one other person. 
it was just an inner belief, like, and I liked it. I, I didn't break my wrist. I wasn't getting beat for writing on shit. I would, you know, so it was like, oh, this is a safe zone, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is safe. So I was just doing me. Dre also had another secret, a secret that led him down a dark path that almost got him killed. Coming up, Crazy Drazy takes on the crazy, and a stroke of luck leads him to a do-or-die decision about his future. And later, DOS Effects comes together. They miggity-make it big, influence a new style of rap music, and beef with the legendary rapper Common. Stay tuned. Do you know more about 90s hip-hop than Redman knows about blunt rolling? Do you have a witty personality that's enough to make Steve Harvey seem like a mute Mitch McConnell? Do you love winning cash and or spinning wheels of consequences? If you answered yes to all of these questions, then you can be a contestant on season two of Headspin, the world's greatest golden era hip-hop game show. Email us at hello at stupid-fly.com. Once again, that's hello at stupid-fly.com. Title the message, Headspin Season 2 Application, and the good people at StupidFly will respond with specific instructions to get your application process started. Thanks for listening, and hope to hear you on Season 2 of Headspin. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back. Crazy Drazy of DOS Effects was just a kid when his parents immigrated to the United States from Jamaica in the 70s. They landed in a place called Union City, New Jersey, and when Dre was headed to high school, they moved to the more affluent Teaneck, New Jersey, where he decided to play for the high school football team. He also had a secret love for writing raps, a secret that he thought he kept very well, but his father was onto him. He would see me having my notebooks and writing, and unbeknownst to me, he was going into my notebook and reading what I was writing. And then he picked up like, oh, he has something here, you know. His father saw he had an aptitude for writing, and he also knew that Dre's path was going to be something different. He had the right idea because the traditional path and school itself weren't really keeping his interest. I was was mischievous in high school. I was doing everything but schoolwork. But I was doing enough schoolwork to maintain like a C-minus average. If you knew my mother, she was strictly books. School, school, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to do something. My father was like, eh, if that's what you want to do, you find my, you know what, my father, you know what he told me, which I guess was the gem, which was, he said, find a job that you can be outside doing. And I think that came from a place of him not liking what he did because he'd sit all day at the bench at his job and then he he, he started his own, own business. But he hated being at the bench with the thing, doing the watches, fixing. He hated that. And along with his secret obsession with hip-hop, he did kind of find work outside. But it wasn't what his father had in mind. I was selling drugs. I was a stick-up kid. I mean, I wasn't going out unless I was going to stick up somebody. That was just my thing. It was, I wasn't going out to have a good time. It wasn't out to go get new girls. I had two big-ass guns on me. I had a 357 and I had a 38. That was just my crew. We were going to Robbie. Go over to the city and drive around. And if you looked like you had something we wanted, you were taking it. I mean, I've, we robbed countless 
amount of people, and I'm 14, 15, and I'm the youngest in the crew. I'm doing wild shit, man. My role in the crew was I'd walk in, let's get that guy right there. And that was my role, like, Dre, you go point him out, we'll get him. All of this was going on and no one had any idea. He kept going like this until... He stuck up these people, right? And it got back to them who stuck him up. The guys that I did the job with ratted me out, basically. So naturally... They wanted to kill me. I was in danger, bro. And for his secret life of crime to come to an end and his regular life of breathing to continue, he needed to find someone to intervene. There's always one guy in the hood that nobody messes with, you know? And I remember watching this dude. He he beat up the whole club one night. Bow, bow, his back's against the wall. He's hit. Who, who, he's hot. I'm like, shoot. His name was Pluck. He was the mediator, basically, and talked these guys out of tearing my head off. Because, I mean, you know, this is big gold chains and, you know, you, you, you stripping dudes off their rings. And I'm 15. So the night that we had to go meet up in a parking lot and I had to take the jewelry from my shit, give it back, the dudes wanted to have my head. And Pluck was like, he was like, nah, you ain't gonna touch my man. This was the turning point in his young life. No matter what drove him to rob people, the guilt of what he did haunted him. I would always think about it at night, like, damn, that was really crazy what we just did. You know, I did some things, man, shot people, did shit that I wasn't proud of, like, yo, I just really shot somebody tonight. That made me like, there gotta be something else I could do. And I was just good enough in school to where, I, and, and it's funny because I had these friends that weren't robbing people, and then I had these friends that were robbing people. So the friends that were not robbing people, they'd be like, oh, I just got accepted to Hampton. Oh, I just got accepted to Howard. I'm going to Florida. And I'm like, damn, I didn't even start sending out my damn shit yet. And while he was just getting over his side hustle of robbing people, he understood that he wasn't going to play pro football and his grades weren't great. But he had to figure something out soon. It was understood in my house, if you're not going to college, you're not living in the house. You're getting out. There wasn't, oh, she's bluffing. No, it was understood. If you don't go to school, you just won't live in this house. And as a 17-year-old, I'm not even there to say, all right, well, I'm going to go live on my own. I'm not ready like that. So I'm like, well, I guess I better just go to school. So he applied to colleges, but... All oh, my letters were coming back, thin envelopes. At one point, I wouldn't even open them because a thin envelope meant you didn't get accepted. And then just one day out the blue, man, I got a response from Virginia State. And it was a thick, I was like, oh, I got accepted. He was eventually accepted into Virginia State, a historically black university in Petersburg, Virginia. And though he wasn't a great student in high school, uh, he still wasn't a great student in college. Freshman year, I brought home a 1-3 average. That was terrible because, like a lot of people, I was partying. And the party was fueled by hip-hop. This is when Dre meets the person he'd go on to sell over a million records with, Willie Hines, a.k.a. School. A classmate, a guy, he's from Brooklyn. He's Scoob's friend. We all go to a party one night. We're all in the party and the DJ is playing the music and must have been instrumentals. And then Scoob starts rhyming to Malcolm, who's sitting in the middle. He's rhyming. He's just rhyming and Mal's like... Oh, yeah, they go scoop again. He's killing it. And then for some reason, I just started rhyming. And Mal's like, oh, yeah, Trace. Oh, okay. And then he starts rhyming. And then Mal's like, oh, oh yeah, Scoop's killing it. At one point, I started rhyming. And Mal was just like, man. And he just gets up. He's like, yo, y'all two listen to each other. And that's literally how we met in the party, rhyming to our mutual friend, like, they hit it off at the party, and throughout the rest of college, they couldn't escape seeing each other. So it's like I just always kept seeing him after that. And then one day he just approached me, was like, hey, man, um, the Deltas, who was a sorority, they were having a talent show. Do you want to get, get in it? I was like, of course, let's try it. And then we fucked around, entered the Delta Star Search, is what it's called, and we won. So that just was like we became known as the two guys. Like, oh, those are the rapper guys from the Delta thing, right? Hey, what's up? Hey, you guys are good. 
He's like, oh, thanks, man. So that led to Scoob also saying, hey, man, you know, I got guys back home, which turned out to be Solid Scheme. Solid Scheme, who would go on to produce Das Effect's first two albums. So I'm like, well, all right. He's like, well, what are you doing over the, uh, the Thanksgiving holiday? And from there, they started to record demo tracks and hone their sound. But this wasn't something he wanted to draw a lot of attention to back home with his parents. I'm not coming home bragging, boasting, oh, we just want a talent show. We just did. I'm more or less trying to just fly under the radar, you know, because mind you, I'm still coming off being a stick-up kid. You know, when I went to Virginia State, I kind of put all of that behind me because when I went to Virginia State, there were some real dudes down there. So it was easier to play it safe and just do this rap thing for fun. He had been rapping, recording, and performing with Scoob and staying on a straight path. So we're doing, we're doing demos at this point, right? We're going up to Brooklyn and we're recording. The songs were coming out good. So I remember telling Scoob, I was like, yo, Scoob, man, let's just take a break, man. Like, the songs aren't good. So we took a break, and then our junior year, we go home for the Christmas break. On this particular trip, it seems like things were finally starting to click. They headed to the studio to record like they normally would and started going through potential beats to use for a song. Next. No, next. Next. And they finally landed on the one. So we write it. Before I start, I got the unfart. No, I got the sneeze. Now nah, I got to trip and yippity do. Dot day shucks. I'm making bucks. I'm hip hip hooray and then some. Cause I'm a bossy wild today. Spoon cool. So far, they had been writing and recording whimsical songs born from their sense of humor and joy of making music. But now they had something they thought could be distributed. We're excited about it. We're like, yo, this sounds better than what we've been doing. They go back to college and they play this song that they called Clap Your Hands for Their Friends. This one sounds good. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, this one sounds good. Now all they needed was a name. So far, everyone on campus just called them Dre and Scoob, but they figured they should add some more flavor to that. There goes Dre and Scoob, which is an acronym for DOS Effects, Dre, D, and Scoob. It could have easily been Sad Effects, Scoob and Dre, but once we wrote that down, we were like, no, not sad effects. The effects part came from whenever we were in the studio, we had our headphones on, we would tell the engineer, hey man, we, we, we were so new, we would be like, put some of that effects on our vocals. All this would give them the confidence to walk into an opportunity of a lifetime. All those hours writing rhymes, recording in the studio, and performing were all preparing them for something. Well, preparation meet opportunity. We're juniors at the time, we live off campus in this house. I would always sleep with my radio on. Every Thursday or Tuesday, I would get up, go to school's room, which was like in that next room. My radio's in here playing, but we're in here doing the math homework. Before class at 12.30, we're doing, doing the math. For some reason, school got up before me. This is critical. School got up before me, came into my room. All of a sudden on my radio, hey, come on down tonight at Club Tropicana. It's going to be a great contest. EPMD's going to be in town. Bring your best raps. We're like, we're going. Hey, did you get the um address? We're like, no, did you get the address? No. So we spent the next 10 minutes like, oh, shit. I didn't even fucking, we don't know where the club is. We don't know where the club is. We don't know where the club is. We call 411. Hey. Can you give me the number for a club Tropicana in Richmond, Virginia? Hold, oh, please. No, we don't have a club Tropicana. We called and called and called and called. And I swear, we're about to give up calling. I call one last time. This is like straight out of a movie. I call one last time. I'm exhausted by now. Hey, how you doing? Can you give me the name for club Tropicana in Richmond? And the operator goes, oh, they've changed that name of the club. It's it's called Club Louisville. I go there all the time. Hold for the number. What are the chances the operator knew the club because she goes there? This stroke of luck was about to put DOS effects in position to show what they've been working on and potentially get the attention of EPMD, who were signed to Def Jam, the hip-hop record label. And when we come back, the chance of a lifetime is almost botched, and DOS effects have to battle disappointment, attacks, and knockoffs. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind. 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Dre and his college rhyme partner, Scoob, have made their hip-hop duo official, recording and performing under the name Das Effects. And before the break, they learned about a golden opportunity to be heard by industry heavyweights, EPMD. They headed to a showcase where EPMD would be judging rappers with a grand prize of $100. So we get to the club, right? We're like, EPMD is not coming here. We're looking around. We're like, there's only three people in there. We're like... All of a sudden, these two six-foot dudes come through the door with Def Jam jackets on. We're like, oh, shit, it's fucking EPMD, bro. Oh, shit, that's fucking EPMD. The, crowd, the club is starting to fill up by now. We're like, oh, shit, it's EPMD, man. We're, we're hyped up. So the host. All right, everybody come up stage. Uh, everybody that wants to enter the rap contest, come on up. Bring your tapes, fella. He knows everybody that's entering the shit. Enter Dre and Scoob, Das Effects. He's like, what's the name of the group? We're like, Das Effects. He's like, he's writing the name on the thing. He doesn't write D-A-S-E-F-X. He writes his own version of it, you know what I mean? He writes it down. Then he goes, take queued up. We're like, queued up? No. He's like, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Get it together. Come on, guys. We have to run out the club, down the stairs, over into the car we came with, cue the tape up, come back up. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. Excuse me, excuse me. Here's the tape. There's 10 acts. We're number nine. And EPMD is scoring each act by holding up cards labeled zero to ten. Eight acts perform. Now it's time for Das Effects. I'm doing my thing. The crowd is like, hmm, not bad. Never heard anything like this before. Luckily, Eric and Parrish, they know music. They're like, this is not some Richmond, Virginia shit, okay? I got the chance to peek back now at Eric and Parrish. They're doing the, they're, they're like, do you hear this? I'm like, oh, shoot, this might be interesting. So it's time for EPMD to present the score. 10, 10, 10. I'm like, oh, shit, we got 30. We got this in the bag. The act goes on after us. These twins, they have half the club with them. Okay, they finish. 10, 10, 9. We're like, we fucking won. The host who we gave the tape to, he's on our dick right now. He's like, oh. Great show tonight. I think we know uh, who won, right? Yeah, because everybody's like, yeah, those fucking guys, whoever they are. He's about to say we won. Eric and Paris are sitting in back of him. Paris leans over the desk. The host looks back. Paris motions him over, whispers something to him. And he's like, are you sure? All right. He was like, and the winner is the twins. The whole crowd was like, the twins? And before anyone could react to twins, they were even shocked. They jumped up and they ran on stage like, yeah, we won, we won. And we were just sitting there like, this is some bullshit. We're sitting there like, oh shit, what just happened? Our first introduction to industry politics. While we're doing this, oh shit, what just happened? Paris walks across stage and he leans over to us and he's like, yo guys, what would you rather have? $100 or a record deal. 
a record deal. He's like, meet me backstage in five minutes. We're like, oh shit. Oh shit. That's the call I made home to my parents. That's the call I made home. And when he called to tell his parents, who came to the States and worked themselves into position to send him to college about this side career he had been pursuing. First of all, no Jamaican parents can even say EPMD, right? They're like, EMPU, EMD what? My mother was like, I'm like, yeah, EPMD, you know, blah, blah, blah. She she just got off the phone. My pops was like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, EPMD, this rap group, man, they said they want to sign us and this and that, da, da, la, la, la. So he was like, ah, well, we'll talk about it when we see you. So a break came and he traveled home. He broke down the group, what they had been working on, and that EPMD had the power to get them signed and propel them into stardom. But my mother was like, get that shit out of here. So we had to come to a, a medium, which was, we'll give you a semester off. And within that semester, you better make something happen. And that's basically what happened. And I, when I tell you, within that semester, within my house, it was tension. My mother was the type, she ain't cooking for you. She ain't cook, doing your laundry. She's, she's just not feeling the situation. I'm three years in, double major, English, child psychology. She's not feeling like you're throwing it all away, okay? In order to get a record deal, EPMD gave them homework. Give us nine more songs like this and we can get you a record deal. So we called the crew like, yo, guess what happened tonight? So they got inspired. They started sending us beats. And we just started trying to write these songs to get to EPMD. On the weekends, we would drive up to Brooklyn, record, meet Parrish in, in this secluded parking lot because he didn't know who the fuck we were. He weren't inviting us to his living room. So they give him the new songs, keep working, and keep waiting. I'm on the phone every other day with Parrish. Yo, what's up? Are we, you know, are we, are we getting close to this deal? And so we got Def Jam. Well, we'll give 100,000. No, that's not good enough. Uh, this record label, well, we'll give 150. You know, there's there's label bids, there's label wars. But Dre wasn't picky. You could have signed me to Horseback Records. I just know my mother was on my back. I needed to get out this house. I have one semester. The window was closing. Okay, it's almost semester up. Eventually, they received an offer from Sylvia Rohn at East West Records, home to other platinum acts like Yo-Yo, In Vogue, and MC Light. This was huge for Dre and Scoob. They had taken a huge gamble on this dream and made it happen with the help of EPMD and... Clark Kent, DJ Clark Kent, he was the A&R there. He had an ear for the streets, his ear was in the streets, so he knew this was the wave. He was like, nah, told Sylvia Rohn, he's like, we should probably pursue this aggressively. One of the things that got him so excited about DOS Effects was their unique style, and in particular, their abstract wordplay. I never wanted to do, let's say um, you're like one for the money, two for the show. My name's Crazy Drazy. This is how I flow. I would be like, um, that sounds good, but it needs to be faster. I was a fan of Big Daddy Kane. And I mean, to me, the guy is the best of the best of the best. So when I heard Big Daddy Kane, he was always so relaxed with his rhymes and he would put these fillers in. He would actually say, um, or suck his teeth. I'm like, damn, he's a fucking master. I drew from that and I'm like, okay, I want to do one for the money, um, two for the show, but I can't do that. That's Kane's thing. So what can we do? And we get one for the, you know, just playing around. We get one for the money. Oh, that sounds cool. We get one for the money. Tiggy two for the show. My name's Crazy Drazy. Diggy, this is how I flow. Oh, that sounds, yeah. Then that evolves to, we get the one for, ooh, I think we should go with that, you know? And one of the best examples of this was a song they recorded before getting signed. The single, They Want Effects. Some guys at State, once we did the contest, they knew we won the contest. It was the buzz around campus. They gave us some beats, and on the beat tape was, um, the day one effects beat. With us, we write, we don't write rhymes and then put them to a beat. We write to the beat. The beginning, if you hear day one effects, it's a drum roll, which I wrote bum stiggity bum over. And this song, like many others they recorded around the time, wasn't meant to be some hip hop classic. To them, this was just another song. Until we just got the deal, right? We record day one effects. I'm like still at home in Jersey. My mom's 
still like, you know, yes, I hear you got this record deal, but, you know, I'm still not happy. So I'm, I remember I'm at the gas station. I'm, I had rented a car because I needed to get from Jersey to Brooklyn and Long Island. So I had rented a car and I'm at the gas station. And all of a sudden on the radio, yo, we got a new song. We're about to make it or break it. It's from a group called Das Effects. I'm like, oh, shit. They're about to play the fucking song on the radio and at make it or break it at that. And if you know make it or break it, it's smash it or trash it. You know, one of those things. If they trash your record, it's almost like the label's like, well, the streets have spoken. They'll pull back. So the DJ plays the record. Now it's time for the public to weigh in. Ah oh, man, trash that, man. You know, it's new sound. Nobody's bumping it. They're like, what is this? No, man, no, man, that shit is hot. That, that's the thing, man. Smash that. That is it. And it's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then they said, well, we'll tell you after the commercial what we think. You know, it's the longest commercial of my life. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm sitting there in the car like, and they come back. Well, I think we got a new one. 80% smash, man. 20% trash. This is it. We're going to I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. So, of course, that was the moment that I knew. I don't think I have to go back to school. You know what I'm saying? That was like, I remember a moment for me, like, I think this is it. This was the moment that confirmed his and Scoob's dreams and that EPMD was right to put faith in them. They had secured a record deal and gotten radio attention with their song, They Want Effects. The song that really stood out was the very last song we did for the album, which was called Straight From The Sewer. Coming straight from the sewer. I think it be the rough slang slinger. Dinger, ding, look at me swing it like a swinger. I think it rock, I think it microphone, I'm going to rock it. Don't jock it. I'm picking it quick, quick, take it, take your drop it. Incredible. I remember just being in the studio, warming up. And I'm waiting for the engineer. And I'm like, straight from the sewer, straight from the sewer. And he's like, yo, that's dope. I'm like, you like that? He's like, yeah, yeah. And we weren't recording straight from the sewer at that time. We were just doing another song on the album that probably didn't even make the album. But that's what gave me the idea, like, oh, maybe we should do a song called Straight From The Sewer then. Straight From The Sewer, Straight From The Sewer. And then we recorded it, and Parrish was like, this is it. This is going to be what we'll base the whole thing around. It wasn't even our idea. Parrish heard Straight From The Sewer, I guess his ear, his vision, and then that's when we approached the video guy and was like, Marcus Rayboy, Rabboy, was like, why don't we just do it in the sewer then? Straight from the sewer was their statement to the world that they were coming from the underground. They recorded their music videos for Straight from the Sewer and they want effects with a gritty tone, emphasizing their underground aesthetic and raw music. I mean, we went down to his crib. We had like gas masks and all this. That's where the gas masks came from, the, from for the video. We were trying shit on. He's like, you want to wear that? I was like, yeah, that'll be cool for the video. <laughs> you know, just like, just random shit. You know what I'm saying? Even to what we were wearing, people thought that the Tim's and the Cohart was a look. That was just what we had. You know, the video, the, the label gave us a budget. So we just bought better Tim's that day. And many people outside of New York thought that this style was something Das Effects invented. When Michael Jackson did the moonwalk, the world thought Michael Jackson was the only one, do you know, the outer people thought that, you know, but people knew, he got it from the hood. So the hood knew, like, these guys ain't wearing nothing different, but people in Germany were like, oh shit, Tim's must be the, you know, the Das Effects thing, but half the Brooklyn was wearing that shit. And the sewer, the Tim's, and the way they were dressed all came in handy for the album. We, we had no direction, really, no concept. It was just these two guys with dreads, with this new style, but the sewer just tied it all in, like, you know. From here, Das Effects is set up to win. Their album is about to come out and put them on every music platform in hip-hop. After the break, Ice Cube's Check Yourself makes their relationship with the rap game a little hostile. And what happens when you make a splash in hip-hop and everyone comes for your spot? Stay tuned. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Das Effects released their debut album, Dead Serious, in the spring of 1992. The singles, They Want Effects and Straight From The Sewer, were so successful, they launched the album to number one on the U.S. R&B charts and eventually going platinum. That's over one million copies sold. Needless to say, this was life-changing. Literally broke one year. Junior, no food. To literally the next year, I have more money than I can spend. People screaming their heads off. Go back to the school we came from. People are like, we just saw you last year. Oh, it was a movie. And with all of this, his father was proud and his mother came around. Plus, this new life had perks. Big boxes. Hey, yeah, go outside. There's four more for you out there. I'm giving her TVs. I bought her a car. I bought my father a car. All of that, plus the shows were getting bigger. It was Dre in school rapping, and they had acquired a DJ. You know him as Red Man. When, when, when we got with the Hit Squad, he was next up to come out. But just because of the speed at which we did our album and what East West had going on, so they, they just threw us out real quick. We didn't have a DJ at the time, and um, yeah, Red, because he's originally a DJ. You know, then we're doing Soul Train. And let's welcome two exciting young rappers as they join us to do their latest single on the Adco East West label. The song is entitled They Want Effects, and they are known as Das Effects. I was thinking, what the hell? Soul Train doesn't look anything like I fucking thought it would look. It's all choreographed, it's like action. You know, we're flying high, man. Nobody can tell us shit. And it seemed like nothing would stop their momentum. Unbeknownst to them, EPMD, the group that had put them on and created the hit squad with them, was imploding and had been having issues for a while. Paris calls us to his room and shit. So I'm thinking it's just another weed session or another good show tonight, guys. And Paris holds up this EPMD poster and then he puts his hand over the E. He's like, so this is what it is from now on. And I'm like, hey, man, move your hand over from the E, man. I can't fucking see what you're saying. <laughs> he was trying to break the news to them that it wouldn't be EPMD anymore. Now they were going to be executive produced by PMD. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, man, there's no more EPMD. The effects of this split would take time to play out, but this definitely set the tone for what was to come. While they were busy touring and still riding the wave of the first album, simultaneously recording their second album, they got a request from the legend himself, Ice Cube. Give me that beat, fool. It's a full-time jack move. We're on tour with RZA. I remember, again, we're getting a phone call. Yo, Ice Cube wants to do a song with you guys. They jumped at this opportunity because Ice Cube, having achieved fame and notoriety with N.W.A., was killing it as a solo artist. They went to the studio and Ice Cube pitched them the idea for a song. I, I just need you guys to be like, chickeny check yourself before you wreck yourself. We're like, that's pretty easy. We could do that, right? Yeah, all right. Get on the mics. Chickeny check yourself before you wreck yourself. Come on and chickeny check yourself before you wreck yourself. Chickety check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And 
I don't even think we heard the majority of the song or any of the song. He's dissing that whole fucking side, snooping all of them. Oh, man, now we're caught up in the middle of this shit. And I remember getting the super cold shoulder from Snoop the next time I seen him. Hip-hop tension aside, this song went platinum and secured a number one spot on the charts. The momentum for DOS Effects wasn't slowing up. Then, in the fall of 1993, they released their sophomore album, Straight Up Suicide. The album was well-received, selling over 500,000 copies and reaching number 20 on the Billboard Top 200 chart. But something had changed on this album. They had dropped much of the Iggy style and opted for more in-your-face lyrics. Around this time, they were also getting accustomed to rap beef. It was well documented that they created their own style, and that meant people were bound to emulate. But biting in hip-hop was a no-no, and Das Effects wasn't about to let it slide. One example of this was a feud with a young rapper at the time who called himself Common Sense. Yup, Common. Anybody close to our style, we didn't like. I, I went to high school with a girl that went to Florida, AM, and I believe he went to Florida AM too. He went to school. So she would always call me at Virginia State, like, there's this guy that, um, he sounds like you guys. And it's not so much that he was doing the iggity because people picked and choose what they wanted to steal from us, but his way of doing it was content. We were like, this fucking guy. That's our shit, you know what I mean? Scoob would always want to step up. So he dissed him in a record and it got, obviously he heard it. And one day, while at a tour stop in Chicago, Common's hometown, Commsense decides to show up. You know, we're big, we're doing autographs. We're, so he wants to talk to us. He's like, yo man, can I have a word with you guys? And we're like, yeah. We, we know it's him, we're like, we'll get to you in a minute, man, hold up. So we're, we blew him off. And he got super tight. He's like, man, fuck all this waiting for you guys, man. Though I'll fuck you. I'll fuck up the whole crew. He's with his. We're on his turf, okay? So we're only traveling with about four of us. So it's us four. There's about 30 of them. We're like, yo, these dudes. And they're trying to make their way backstage. The security got to, yo, chill, chill, chill. Then they fucking make their way to the hotel. So we're in the hotel now. We're here and they're in the lobby. We don't know who's guns, we, you know, cause that's where I come from. And you know, so I'm like, okay, so it's really about to go down out here in Chicago. Luckily, no one was harmed and things never escalated, but that wasn't the only issue that DOS Effects would have to contend with in hip hop. Their unique style was something that was precious to them. This led to tension with groups like Lords of the Underground, Funk Dubious and Criss Cross. This is my theory. When our tape was being um, passed around the industry, my firm belief is that it got to Jermaine Dupree somehow, some way. There's no way I think out of thin air they started miggity, miggity, mac, miggity. I, I don't believe it. So when we heard crisscross, we were super tight. One, because of the obvious, they had our style. Two, we didn't want people to think we were biting off of them, you know? So I remember um, seeing Jermaine Dupree in the airport, and he came over, like, I guess, wanted to say what's up. And we, when I tell you, gave him the death stare. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> he just, he, he backpedaled like, all right, guys. As the effect of the first and second albums died down, they went in the studio to record their third album, which they called Hold It Down. So far, they had used Solid Scheme almost exclusively for production. But this time, the label had other plans. The second album didn't live up to the first album. So the label stepped in on the third and was like, okay, we want to take control of it. East West told them that they wanted to use bigger name producers like DJ Premier and Pete Rock. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll go. And I remember going to Primo's crib in Brooklyn, played us a whole bunch of beats. We're like, this fucking great, we're with Premier. DJ Premier would contribute two tracks that would compete to become singles. I heard booga, 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 booga. I was like, oh, this beat is it. No diggity. This song they called No Diggity. And then school heard bomb. I hated it. Dog, you do not like that. He's like, dog, this beat is it. 
I'm like, I fucking hate this beat. I'm driving home. I'm playing it. I'm like, I fucking hate this beat. And then I'm the one that came up with the hook, ironically. I'm like, to the hip hip hop, you don't stop. That's me. He's like, oh, let's try that. This song was called Real Hip Hop. And when trying to determine which to use for the single, they let the people decide. And we used to play, because I wanted No Diggity as a single. Other people wanted real hip hop. And we used to drive around in my car and shit. People would be like, oh shit, that's a fix. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Get over that. We want to play you these two new songs, which also blew their minds. And then they chose, the people chose actually real hip hop. The people also appreciated that they had returned to their style using the Iggity fillers in their lines. This was also a label decision. They were pissed that we stopped doing it on the second album. They were like, oh, and by the way, I mean, there were board meetings about this. They're like, and by the way, guys, we need you to do the Iggity, please. I mean, come on, we need it. Things were all so stacked against No Diggity as a single because the label thought No Diggity meant No Iggity. And the label didn't want anybody to think that they were giving up the Iggity. But their hesitation might have cost them. Blackstreet came along a year later. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. And then that, that, was, that was my, uh, you know, way of saying, look, I told you. Their third album, Hold It Down, debuted in the fall of 1995 to a very different hip-hop landscape. We had, our, we had our good run, and then unfortunately, once you win the Super Bowl, other groups are sh- they're gunning for you. We turn around, there's this squad, Death Row, because they had their version of the hit squad. And then Puff jumped in, and then, you know, and then before you know it, the South came. Yeah, and then Underground started, like, really suffering, you know, because hip-hop started being more commercialized, and, you know, it was like, oh, shit. All of this made it so that Das Effects eventually fell by the wayside. They go on to release two more albums, but their impact was already felt in the world of hip-hop. Their willingness to be unique and branch out lyrically made it okay for many future MCs to experiment. Along with their underground sound came a global fan base that still rocks with them faithfully to this day. Dre had come a long way from poor immigrant to stick-up kid, barely making it to college to number one records and making hip-hop history. In the last few years, Dre and Scoob still perform together all around the world. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production. Written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made great by Northridge, California's own DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett is the epitome of fresh. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, or however you listen to the show. Like, share, and subscribe on Instagram at Stupid Fly Media. And if you know, you know. Go to stupid-fly.com for merch and to learn more about what we're up to. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.